Good morning. Let us begin our worship with number 315, The Solid Rock. to worship. Good morning. Morning. Call to worship this morning is Psalm 18, verses 1 through 6 and 16 through 17. I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. The sorrows of death compassed me, and the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came before him, even into his ears. I meant to mention this is a song of David, and it's um, when he was delivered from the hands of his enemies. And these two verses are 16 and 17. He sent from above, he took me, he drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them which hated me, for they were too strong for me. Mm. Amen. Yes. And uh, just a, a reminder, maybe you know this, but when it talks about him being the horn of our salvation, That's a ram's horn, and that represents strength. And I can't see a certain pickup truck without thinking of God these days. So he's ram tough and beyond. For our next song, we'll sing number 524. We've a story to tell to the nations.
Amen. That's a great song, Psalmos and the Anthem. Well, let us pray. Father God, we've gathered here together this morning in your presence to worship you. We thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit here among us. We pray that your spirit would work in each and every one of our hearts, our minds, our desires that we may be conformed to your will and to the image of your son. We pray that will happen as we are gathered here together. Please take out all the distractions that are in us and anything from outside that may try to hinder what it is you want to do. And may your will be fully done in us and among us. And may we leave here transformed, um, better vessels to serve you and to do the work that Jesus has left for us to do. We ask in his name. Amen. And now, if you will take your bulletin inserts, we will pray together our prayer of confession. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare thou those, O God, who confess their faults. Restore thou those who are penitent according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of thy holy name. Amen and amen. And the assurance of pardon we have comes from the Apostle John. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And with that confession and with that assurance, let us continue our worship singing about God's love and um, our desire to pass it on, number 71 and number 503.
may be seated for the reading of God's Word. Scripture reading this morning is Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And then we have Psalm 40, verses 9, 10. I have preached the righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid my righteousness within my heart, I have declared my faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. Amen. Yes, amen. That's, um, yeah, good stuff. Of course, it's God's word. Let us uh, take our songbooks and turn towards the very back to number uh, 626. And we shall recite together um, the Nicene Creed, our statement of faith as God's people. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, 
maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And I think that says it all. Amen. Well, now um, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for the many gifts you have given us, not the least of which is the faith of your Son, the Savior, who gives us the faith to be made right with you because of his work on our behalf in his death and his resurrection for us. We are the result of some 100 generations of faithfully obedient disciples going all the way back to the 11 you met within days of your resurrection to the 3,000 added at Pentecost until today. And no one knows how many more generations of disciples are to be made until you return. Furthermore, you reiterated the greatest word of God to your apostles as the last words Matthew was inspired to write. You will be with your disciples to empower and enable them to do your impossible commands all the way up to the time you return to judge and then preside at your wedding feast. Please, may all always bow to your supreme authority so that we may proclaim your good news at every opportunity and by our lives demonstrate your power to transform with your strong love, even the lowest of sinners, such as we are, and help us to make daily progress to obey all you have commanded and to teach others to do the same as you are teaching us to do. We pray for our world getting smaller every day. We pray for the people of Ukraine. Please give them your faith and courage to endure as long as it takes. And please change the heart, mind, and will of President Putin. And please be with all your people undergoing persecution. The very first apostles wrote to inform us 
inform us all that this is your will for your people in this age. In fact, Jesus declared uh, that um, some of his followers would always at one time or another experience tribulation. He said it in the upper room. So we are exercising our privilege to pray for them. We also ask for an awakening among the vast numbers in our nation who are still spiritually dead. Also realizing at the same time, we who claim the name of the Savior must continually be revived by the Holy Spirit. And we pray for our church family, these members in particular. Father, we pray for Joe. Please be with him. Uh, Please help him to recover and rehab, be able to go home and come back and join us here and worship again. We pray for Nancy and Ray and the whole family. We pray for Doris and Francis and Allie and her family, Christine and her brother. We pray for Peter, Linda, Billy, Norgie, their mother. We pray for Ken. Father, we pray for Brian and Jessica, Noel and Darren. We also pray for Al and Carol. Please let their plan that they were considering on Thursday be a temporary solution until they find a more permanent place, and we pray that would be soon. And Father, I've been handed this card this morning. We've been praying for Mark McConnell off and on. And we just got word that he's now in heaven with with you and, and with Jesus. And of course, for us on earth, that's always sad. But um, you have a will and you have a plan for each of us. And because of Jesus, we know that where we're headed is better than we are now. And please help us all to just take that to heart. Um, and Father... Uh, You know all the rest of the needs of all the people, and we pray that you would take care of each and every one of us. And now, may your word change all of our hearts and actions. Please help me to explain, interpret, and apply it. And may I, first, and all who hear, be enabled to do your will all the time, with joy and with gladness. And now when we run out of words to pray on our own, we thank you for the prayer Jesus left for us to pray. All of his followers praying. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen and now before we dig into God's word I think Of all the songs in the book, I'm not saying this is the best or my favorite. It's the perfect sum of the Christian life. Trust God and obey him in faith. Number 469, trust and obey. Still, and we'll all who will trust. Him. 
for the capacitors to clear. Okay, you may be seated now. Is there any security in this life? And can any of us hope to escape the storms of life? The answer is no. We actually have God's word on this. We're told through Solomon that time and chance, which means encounters of any kind, befall all, all people. So where is God in all of this that happens in life? And and, and many cynics would even say, is there a God? Well, yes, there is. And God gives every person some degree of responsibility to turn to him from from self and our own selfish pursuits of sinfulness. Anyone who says yes to his gracious gift of his Savior's son will be adopted into his family and become a citizen in the kingdom of God. And with this comes an obligation to grow as his disciples. And that means to know and do his will, namely, to join with his son Jesus in the Holy Spirit, to continue his rescue mission on earth. And all who commit to do this will receive his forever promise that goes from the beginning to the end of scripture. I have found it everywhere. It's the only surefire promise that his presence will be with them giving them strength and enabling them to enjoy his love regardless of their circumstances. And I was at a two-month-long Bible study once where the pastor that taught it ended with, if we know this, we can always say, why ask why? We trust that God is in control and he loves us. And in today's conclusion to the gospel according to Matthew, all this is communicated to the 11 apostles the 11 apostles who remained after Judas killed himself when he saw that Jesus was allowing himself to be captured unto death, which was inconceivable to Judas, okay? And also, we heard the portion of a song, a psalm, that Jesus' human ancestor David wrote about the qualities 
of God that are enough to make anyone with a heart and a mind under God's influence to endure all and everything for him with great joy because of the glad good news of what Jesus, whose name is Savior. We should stop using his Jewish and Greek name and just call him what he is, Savior, what he has done. So with this as a background, let's examine our good news passage in light of the psalm portion. So the conclusion to Matthew's gospel has a very short introduction and then concludes with something very strong and important. So in the short introduction, we're told the 11 went to Galilee and having seen him, they worshiped and wavered. So they go to the mountain which Jesus had appointed. So we're told the 11 disciples were then departed into Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And if you just remember just last week from the beginning of this chapter, both the messenger, because that's what an angel means, and an angel could only speak the message God had given them. And then Jesus himself spoke to the two women named Mary and said, tell my disciples to meet me in Galilee. And that was what was done. And then we're told, and having seen him, they worshiped him. And this word means literally to get down on the knees on the ground, to bend the forehead forward to the ground, and to worship him with joy. And that's what they did. And I had to really check out the language to understand this. Okay, the word some does not occur in the original. It says they worshiped him, but they doubted. So it's all of them simultaneously with both of these emotions. And the word for doubt can mean to waver. And I was immediately drawn back to Elijah on Mount Carmel. When in the days when Israel was trying to worship the true God and worshiping every other God in the, under the sun. And Elijah said to them, how long will you waver between two opinions? That's what happened. But we need to understand this is human nature. We are all capable of feeling and experiencing opposite emotions at the same time. And I think in both the joy and the relief and all they had been fearing up to this time, when they finally saw him, they worshiped him, but they were just going, this is beyond our comprehension. So they did both at the same time. Well, now Jesus takes control. And Jesus spoke to them, saying he has been given all authority and commanded them to make disciples of all. And he is being with them always. And as we go back to David, we find out as the righteous, faithful, and true one, as God. So in this Last portion of the gospel, the first thing is on the basis of his authority that he had been given, Jesus commands them to make disciples of all. Having gone, baptizing, and teaching, and he is always with them. So let's look at this. Um, The conclusion to Matthew's gospel, we'll go through it word by word. Having come up, Jesus spoke to them, saying. So they had all reached the mountain. Now, it's funny. I always assumed it was on the day of the resurrection. But you got to realize Galilee's 90 miles north of Jerusalem. And they didn't have modern transportation. It probably took as many as three days for them to get there. But Jesus came to his disciples and he spoke to them. And he says, it has been given to me all authority in heaven and on earth. In other words, Jesus has all of the authority of God given to him 
everywhere in all of the physical creation, but most especially on earth. And he says, therefore, having gone, you all must make disciples of all the nations. This is the key word of the conclusion of the gospel. It's his last command, one command and one command only, make disciples. Over three years time, all the gospels tell us this, Jesus made them to be his disciples. And in the same way, they now must make others into his disciples. And he's given them three ways to make disciples. And they are to do this for all nations, literally ethnic groups. In fact, we stole the Greek word for ethnic um, you know, groups that have a, a, a biological relationship. And this is Jesus's very last commandment, making it the most important. Disciples, Jesus commands his disciples to make disciples. And in this sentence, the first way is having gone. What does Jesus make mean by this? Well, having gone wherever they have gone, by extension, that's us. They are to make disciples there, okay? Before you consider moving yourself someplace else, and sometimes that doesn't help at all because we're still the same people and changing location doesn't change us. But wherever we are, start there. Wherever we have gone, we're there now. Start there is what he's saying. Then he continues baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptizing is the second way to make new disciples. Now, the immersion in the water represents our death to sin and and self with Jesus on his cross. So when someone goes under the waters of baptism, they are representing in this sacrament, I have died to myself, I have died to my sins, because Jesus died for my sins, so that I can be free of myself. And then the coming up out of the water represents sharing in his new life, to join him, join with him in his mission of reconciliation. He came to earth to reconcile us to God. We were separated from God. And this is done by being disciples who make disciples. It's all tied together. Jesus commands his disciples to make disciples. And then the third way is teaching them to keep all I have commanded to you all. So in this third way, by informal personal instruction and training, they and by extension us are to bring new disciples to a place where they know all that Jesus has commanded, and then that they will keep it, okay? Then this new disciples are to learn by the example, the example of the teaching of people who are already disciples, how to actually live out all that Jesus commanded and to keep them, to keep doing them, all the commands of Jesus. So disciples of Jesus make disciples. And now I thought that we need to say something about what Jesus has commanded. I remember one year on vacation, I tried to get all the commands out of the gospel and gave up at 300 and some, only a third of the way through the four gospels. So this week I went back to the kingdom inauguration speech, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. In his very first speech as king of God's kingdom, commonly called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus put forth at least three dozen commands there in those three chapters. 
And um, for uh, the sake of time, let's just consider 10 of these commands, the essence of them that he gave in his inaugural address. First of all, when they are persecuted for his sake, they must rejoice and they must be exceedingly glad. That goes against everything that we naturally are. And then secondly, they must let their light shine before people so that their good deeds are seen by them, meaning the other people, that these other people may glorify God in heaven. Thirdly, if while offering up a gift at the altar, they remember their brother has anything against them. We may feel at peace with a brother, but we may realize we have inadvertently offended that brother. Then we must leave the gift at the altar. Then we must go and we must be reconciled. If Jesus has reconciled us to him, to God, we must be about reconciliation as well. And then fourthly, to the one asking, they must Give And I won't go into any detail now. I'd be happy to fill in the gaps outside of this time of worship. But I was a, a, a toddler Christian, not even two years old, when this happened to me. And I said a little silent prayer, and I said, I remember I read somewhere in Scripture, uh, I'd better just give. This person needs it, and I have it. Fifth, and this is the really heart. This is the hardest one. If we can do this, we know that we know Jesus, and he is in us. They must love their enemies. They must bless those cursing. They must do good to those hating them, and they must pray for those persecuting them. We cannot do that on our own. I submit no one can. Six, they must not store up for themselves treasures on earth, but they must store up for themselves treasures in heaven. It's all about where we're going, not where we've been. Seventh, they must seek first the kingdom of God. Eighth, they must first cast out the beam of their own eye. And I think that means, you know, we're all sinners. We need to let God clean up our own sins before um, seeking to help their brother with his sin. Ninth, in all things that they may want others, they may want men to do to them, they must be doing likewise to them first. This is the so-called golden rule. And then the last one I chose to make it 10. And this is another heavy one. Again, they're all humanly impossible. They must enter in through the narrow, the narrow way that leads to life, okay? In this narrow way, it's constricted, it's straight, it's tight. We'd like to go to the left. We'd like to go to the right. But no, stay right on that narrow path. That's the path that leads to life. Don't lose it, okay? I hate to use a kind of a silly movie illustration, but it's like the yellow brick road. Stay on the way of Jesus, okay? And then the conclusion of what Jesus said, and again, this is the promise that goes throughout scripture. If you want one promise that always holds true, it's the only one I've ever found. He says, lo, which is also translated behold. I am being with you all, all the days until the end of the age. His eternal presence. Jesus grabs their attention with an interjection. Behold, then he emphatically tells them he is going to continually be with his disciples to the end of the age. And let me just say it one more time. The one word from God, 
that goes from beginning to end is that he will always be present with his faithfully obedient people. That's why we sang, trust and obey. It's everything. And then he says, until he returns at the end. So this age started at Pentecost, and it will continue until Jesus bodily returns to cast the deceiving accuser into the lake of fire and sulfur and to judge all people and to inaugurate the new heavens and earth with his wedding feast. Read Revelation 19 and 20. But until then, in the here and now, his disciples must be about his work of making disciples of all nations. Jesus commands his disciples to make disciples. And now let's go back to the portion of Psalm 40. There's a worshiper gladding with good news, the great assembly speaking of Yahweh's faithfulness, salvation, loving kindness, and truth. Okay, it starts out saying, I have gladdened with good news, righteousness in the great assembly. Now, this sounds kind of awkward to make glad with good news, but that is the literal definition of the word according to the best Hebrew lexicon that there is. And in the Psalms, this word often refers to a messenger bringing the news, the good news of Yahweh's victory over his enemies. And his enemies hate his people. So it's a victory for us as well. Now, the great assembly, the leader of worship in the assembly of God's people is bringing this news into a great assembly. And when David wrote this song, that referred to all Israel, all 12 tribes, and they were at the greatest geographic occupation of territory they had ever had. But now that Messiah Jesus, the Savior King, has come, it's all people in every nation. It's to be declared the righteousness of God everywhere. And then he says, behold, I will not restrain my lips. Yahweh, thou have known. So speaking with emphasis, again, using that word, behold. And we did a video Bible study maybe 10 years ago now where the teacher said that may be the most important word in the Bible. Behold, look, open your eyes. He says he will not hold back his lips. What's that mean? He's going to speak about what he knows about his covenant savior, God. He's going to speak. And then in the next line, he's he's acknowledging that the covenant God, that's what the name Yahweh describes, the covenant God. He knows everything about him, and that's okay. We should be glad about that. Continuing on, he says, and I have not hidden thy righteousness within my heart. Again, this is just what Jesus had been talking about. We are not to hide the relationship we have with God and all the wonderful things he's done with us and keep it to ourselves. So he began with the good news of righteousness and now as he begins to speak up, speak up in the great assembly and proclaim everything he knows about God, the very first thing he talks about is the righteousness of God. He speaks from his heart, the covenant God, Yahweh, he is righteous. And then he concludes these two verses that we're considering, thy faithfulness, thy salvation, I have spoken. And I have not hidden thy steadfast love and thy truth from this great assembly. So this is important. He's talking about 
faithfulness and salvation. And it took me a long time to get this. I just had my 43rd birthday in Christ on Friday. And it probably took until 15 or so years ago before I really, really, really got this. 1,000 years before the cross, the empty tomb, and Jesus' last command, which we've just considered, David was inspired to speak of the faithfulness and salvation given from the God of Israel. Faith comes from God. Faith begins in God, not in us. Okay, our human faith does nothing for us. But because Jesus himself submitted in faith to his father's will, he died on the cross for our sins. This is where we have to acknowledge that we as people are feeble and we waver just as the 11 did when they first met Jesus. And the faith that saves people is a gift of God's faithfulness. And that happens as the Holy Spirit convicts or convinces people, one, of our sin, two, the Savior's righteousness, and three, that Jesus has already judged the enemy by his death and resurrection, John 16. So people who commit their lives to God on this basis, on who God is, what God has done. These people are the people who are saved by God's faithfulness, and he gives us faith. That's what David is saying. And then as an application, he says, I will not hide thy love and thy truth. Why does God save sinners like us? Because of his steadfast love, his strong love, his transforming love, and the truth. So God's people, here's our application. As disciples, we need to both live and proclaim these qualities of God that we have come to know Wherever we find ourselves, whether it's just with a few people or in a crowd or wherever we are, let's proclaim the righteousness, love, and truth of Jesus to all. That's what God wants of us. I know I fall short of doing it as much as I should but let this inspire us because these are Jesus' last words in the Gospel of Matthew. So let's sum up the end of the Gospel of Matthew and what we learn. The 11 go to Galilee. They see Jesus and they're very human. They both worship and waver. And we need to accept that, but let us pray. It'll be more worshiping and less wavering. Then he speaks to them saying he's been given all authority and therefore they are to make disciples where they have gone, baptizing them in the name of the three in one God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all his commands And here's the promise, the one promise we can always rely on. The only condition is that we're in obedient faith. Then he, the Savior, who is righteous love, faithfulness, and truth will always be with them and with us. And I submit Emmanuel, God with us, is the greatest promise of all. And I'm glad it is the surest promise of all. And now um, let us close with song number 531. So send I you by grace. Let this be our prayer of our heart this morning. 531.
benediction, our good word, is from what I have come to call the fifth gospel, but it was written 700 plus years before Jesus came to earth. Isaiah, listen to me, O islands, and pay attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named me. And he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has concealed me. And he has also made me a select arrow. He has hidden me in his quiver. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will show my glory. But I said, I've toiled in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely the justice due to me is with the Lord, and my reward is with my God. And now says the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him in order that Israel might be gathered for him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God is my strength. He says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. And here's the bottom line. And remember, Jesus is the true Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. That's why Jesus came as the suffering servant. And he's asked us now to be his representatives on earth as he directs us from the throne by the spirit. And may we glorify his name as we heard in that command from the Sermon on the Mount, Let's sing now number 61, Glorify Thy Name.